History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Grey History, the French Revolution is a long-form history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. From a revolution of hope and liberty to the infamous reign of terror, you can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So search for the French Revolution today. What did it take to survive an ancient siege? Why was the cult of Dionysus behind so many slave revolts in ancient Rome? What's the tragic history and mythology behind Japan's most haunted ancient forest? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. Join us to explore ancient history and mythology from a fun, sometimes tipsy perspective. Find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Queen Elizabeth I's 16 suitors and lovers. Part 1, Proposing to a Princess. Elizabeth I of England and Ireland reigned for 45 years over a golden age of peace, prosperity, and flourishing art and culture. And she shocked the medieval world by doing it all without a man. But that certainly wasn't for lack of proposals. Elizabeth had at least 16 suitors in her lifetime. In her youth, men were eager to take advantage of the prominent princess, and their ambitions landed Elizabeth in the Tower of London. But when she was queen, she turned the tables on the many men eager to win her hand. She played them against each other and dangled herself as a prize they could never quite win. Over this two-part series, we'll meet the English lords and European royals who pursued Her Majesty and the one man she truly loved through it all. We'll also examine the age-old question. Was the Virgin Queen really a virgin? Elizabeth was the child of King Henry VIII's second marriage. After two decades, his first queen, Catherine of Aragon, had given birth to only one surviving child, a daughter Mary. The king was determined to have a male heir. He appealed to the pope for an annulment, but was turned down for seven years. So Henry took the radical step of breaking with the Catholic Church, declaring himself the new head of the Church of England, and dissolving his own marriage to Catherine, thus making Princess Mary illegitimate. Henry wed his new love interest, Anne Boleyn. She also gave birth to a daughter, Princess Elizabeth, in 1533. But many in England and most in Catholic Europe did not accept Henry's methods of divorce and did not see Anne as his true wife or Elizabeth as his legitimate heir. It was expected that the daughter of a king would be betrothed to a foreign prince at a young age. Mary had been promised to Francois Dauphin of France at two and then Holy Roman Emperor Charles V at six. But because of Elizabeth's shaky position, the proposals were not pouring in for her. She had only one potential groom in her early childhood. 
Charles du Valois, Duke of Angoulême and Orléans, was the youngest son of King Francois I of France. Despite being blinded in one eye by smallpox, Charles was handsome, fun-loving, and his father's favorite. When Princess Elizabeth was one and Charles twelve, her father proposed a match between them, on the condition that the French king would appeal to the Pope to recognize Anne Boleyn as his legal queen. Francois was dubious about tying Charles to a princess whose legitimacy was in question, and he balked at the condition that he sent his beloved son to be raised in England. Henry was so offended that Francois dare question Elizabeth's place as his heir that he called off the negotiations. A year later, Henry made a liar out of himself. Anne Boleyn suffered a miscarriage, and the impatient king decided he was ready for another wife swap. Anne was falsely accused of adultery and incest, and beheaded. Henry declared their marriage null and void, and Elizabeth illegitimate. Charles was later offered the choice of marrying Emperor Charles V's daughter, Maria, or niece, Anna, and getting either the Netherlands or Milan as a dowry. Before he made the choice, however, the boisterous 23-year-old took a dare from his older brother and entered a house which had been infected by plague. While laughing and proclaiming no son of a French king ever died of the plague, he engaged in a pillow fight and even lay down in a bed, which we now know was likely teeming with bubonic plague-infected fleas. That night, Charles fell suddenly ill and died of the plague. Elizabeth was just two and a half when she lost her mother and her place as heir to the throne. Eleven days later, her father married Jane Seymour. She finally delivered a male heir, Edward, but she died of childbed fever. Elizabeth was raised in her brother's household. She was exceedingly intelligent and diligent in her studies, but her illegitimacy and uncertain position in the line of succession dimmed her marriage prospects. Elizabeth watched from the sidelines as her father married three more times. He divorced Anne of Cleves and beheaded Catherine Howard. Sixth wife, Catherine Parr, encouraged the cranky old king to make peace with his two daughters. As he was unlikely to have any more children, he made a will putting Mary and Elizabeth back in the succession, after their younger brother, of course. An advantage of bringing the girls back into the family fold was that Henry could once again use them as political bargaining chips. He opened negotiations to betroth Elizabeth to Adolf, Duke of holstein gottorp he was the third son of King Frederick I of Denmark. Adolf was 19 and Elizabeth 12. It would have benefited England to make an alliance with this Protestant royal family, as the Catholic powers of Europe angled against them. But the negotiations fell through. Adolf went on to wed Christine of Hesse and father eight children. He left the governing of his duchy to his relatives and traveled widely throughout Europe. He died at 60. King Henry VIII died at 55. Elizabeth's younger brother became King Henry VI at the age of nine, and his maternal uncle, Edward Seymour, took over as regent. Orphaned Elizabeth was close to her final stepmother and moved in with her. 
but Catherine's new husband was a scoundrel. Thomas Seymour, Baron Sudley, was King Edward's other uncle. He was 40 and Elizabeth 14 when they lived under the same roof. He frequently entered her bedroom in his nightgown, tickled her, and slapped her on the bottom. At first, Catherine joined in, laughing it off as playful games. She once even held Elizabeth while Thomas cut her gown into shreds with a sword. But when Catherine caught Thomas and Elizabeth in an embrace, she realized things had gone too far and sent the princess to live elsewhere. Months later, Catherine died of childbed fever. She left Thomas one of the wealthiest men in England. And now that he was single, he proposed marriage to Elizabeth. Though young, she was wise enough to know better. She dodged his proposal and moved to the countryside to avoid him. Thomas was desperate to gain power however he could. He was ambitious to replace his older brother as regent. He manipulated the 10-year-old king and even attempted to kidnap him. His rash actions put Elizabeth under suspicion. She and her servants were arrested. For weeks, the council tried to bully a confession out of her, but she was far too shrewd for that. In the end, they had nothing on her and she was released. Thomas Seymour, however, was found guilty of treason and beheaded. King Edward suffered frequent bouts of ill health. As a fervent Protestant, he feared dying and leaving the throne to his equally ardent Catholic sister Mary. But he couldn't legally skip her in favor of Protestant Elizabeth, as both had been deemed illegitimate by their father. Edward's advisor, John Dudley, Duke of Northumberland, hatched a cunning ploy. He had Edward sign a will skipping both of his sisters and instead naming his cousin, Lady Jane Grey, as his heir. He then forced Jane to marry his own son, Guilford. King Edward died at 15, likely from tuberculosis. Jane was declared queen, and Guilford tried to bully her into naming him king. But Mary had a groundswell of support from the common people. She raised an army and marched to London, ending Jane's reign after only nine days. The 16-year-old would be Queen Jane, and Guilford both lost their heads. At Mary's side during her triumph was her sister, Elizabeth. She was now 20, highly intelligent, tall, graceful, and attractive, with fair skin and auburn hair just like her father. And more importantly, she was now heir presumptive to a 37-year-old childless queen. The chances of Elizabeth inheriting the throne now looked very good, and a number of suitors jumped at the chance to marry the possible future queen. Edward Courtenay, Earl of Devon, was a great-grandson of King Edward IV and as head of the House of York, which Henry VII had ousted to claim the throne, was a threat to the Tudor dynasty. Edward's father had rebelled against Henry VIII and been beheaded. The whole family was locked up in the tower, and Edward remained there for 15 years to prevent him from making a violent bid for the throne. 
His mother was a Catholic and a close friend of Mary's. So when she came to the throne, Edward was finally set free. He proposed to Queen Mary, and many at court thought she might say yes. But she had fallen in love with the portrait of her maternal cousin, Philip of Spain. As she was a woman, it was expected that she would take orders from her husband, who would be titled King Consort and become effective ruler of England. Her marriage to Philip was incredibly unpopular with the English, who didn't want to be ruled by a foreigner. Worse, Mary went to work undoing what her father had done to divorce her mother. She forced her people to convert back to Catholicism. She burned over 300 Protestant martyrs at the stake, earning the name Bloody Mary. Those in the nation who despised murderous Mary and foreign Philip thought that an English Protestant couple, perhaps Elizabeth and Edward Courtenay, might make a better queen and king. Thomas Wyatt raised an army and started a rebellion with the intention of placing Elizabeth and Edward on the throne. Mary's army defeated Wyatt and he was put to death. Both Edward and Princess Elizabeth were arrested on suspicion of co-conspiracy and locked up in the Tower of London. Edward may have been involved in the plot, but Elizabeth vehemently denied that she had done anything to undermine her sister, or that she had any intention of marrying Edward. She blamed him for her incarceration and would not hear his name spoken in her presence. The Spanish ambassador pressured Mary to put Edward and Elizabeth on trial and execute them both. He threatened that Philip would not set foot in England until the danger had been neutralized. But investigators were unable to find evidence to convict them. Mary was eager to get her man, so she had Edward banished from England. He moved to Venice, Italy. Within a year, he was in a gondola accident and was stranded in a storm for several hours. He was rescued, but he died of fever at 29. Mary couldn't pin anything on her younger sister, but she kept her locked up in the tower just in case. While Elizabeth was there under constant threat of execution, she turned to fellow prisoner and childhood friend Robert Dudley for comfort. He was the son of the Duke of Northumberland, who had attempted to put Jane Grey on the throne. He was also the older brother of Jane's husband, Guilford. After the failed coup, Mary locked the Duke and all five of his sons up in the tower. The Dudleys were all sentenced to death, but only the Duke and Guilford actually went to the scaffold. Robert was eventually released, and he became one of the most important men in Elizabeth's life. We'll hear much more about him later. Queen Mary was eager for Elizabeth to convert to Catholicism, partly to save her soul and partly because as long as her heir remained Protestant, she would be a focal point for further rebellions. Elizabeth walked a tight rope of avoiding conversion while not doing anything her sister could outright behead her for. She promised Mary she would take communion, but always fell ill right before Mass. 
Mary grew frustrated with her sister's evasion tactics and considered that if she could not force her to convert, maybe she could marry her to someone who could. Magic mirror on the wall, who are the most rotten ones of all? Hello, my darlings, and welcome to Rotten to the Core. Here, we will scry into the past and discover some rotten apples throughout our history. Have no fear, my pretties, for we shall learn a lesson, not only about their horrendous deeds, but also about our own power. Let's step out of the shadow of the past and help pull it towards the light. I am your host, Josh Waters, and I'll be the queen guiding you on our journey. Now, come along, dears. We have lessons to learn. History is waiting. <laughs> Lindsay Holiday here from History Tea Time. If you like history that's spooky, strange, and mysterious, then I think you'll love the podcast History Uncovered from the makers of All That's Interesting. This conversational podcast covers a variety of topics in the world of true crime, unsolved mysteries, and fascinating stories from history, folklore, and the paranormal. I've been especially enjoying the recent miniseries on the sinking of the Titanic. This has long been a topic of fascination for me, but I was excited to learn some new things about it from History Uncovered. There are also episodes on who really shot JFK, the possible cannibalization of Michael Rockefeller, the true story that inspired The Exorcist, and much more. And their monthly special, History Happy Hour, dives into recent news in the world of history and archaeology. Explore the uncharted corners of the past by listening to History Uncovered wherever you get your podcasts. Emmanuel Philibert, Duke of Savoy, was King Philip's first cousin. He didn't really rule anything as Savoy was being occupied by the French, but he was a faithful servant to his Habsburg cousin in the hopes that he would help him regain his lands. Mary and Philip thought it would be a fine idea to tie their families together a second time through a marriage between Emmanuel and Elizabeth, but the plans came to nothing. After winning a brilliant military campaign for Philip, Emmanuel was granted control of Savoy. He wed Margaret, sister of King Henri II of France, and settled down to rebuild his duchy. He died at 52. Carlos, Prince of Asturias, was Philip II's son from his first marriage to his first cousin, Maria Manuela of Portugal. She died in childbirth at just 17. Carlos had a number of mental and physical disabilities because of the Habsburg dynasty's long history of inbreeding. Where most people have eight great-grandparents, he only had four. Don Carlos grew up arrogant and violent. By the age of 11, he had blinded all of the horses in the stable and enjoyed whipping servant girls. It was at this age that Philip suggested his son as a possible groom for Princess Elizabeth. Philip later changed his mind and betrothed Carlos instead to Elizabeth of Valois, daughter of King Henri II of France. 
As Carlos entered adolescence, Philip became more wary of his son's deranged nature. At 17, he was chasing a servant girl down a flight of stairs when he fell and severely injured his head. Doctors saved his life by trepanation or drilling a hole into his skull to relieve the pressure of his swelling brain. After the ordeal, Carlos became even more unstable. While walking through town, water thrown from a window accidentally splashed him. He ordered the house burned down. He tried to stab the Duke of Alba and throw a servant through a window, but his guards were quick on their feet and stopped him. Carlos demanded that his father grant him more power, and Philip avoided doing so. Carlos grew so frustrated that he told several people at court he intended to murder his father. That was the last straw. Philip ordered his son placed under house arrest. He died there at 23, probably due to his lifelong ill health, though many whispered that Philip had ordered his son to be poisoned. Queen Mary was 37 when she wed Philip. He saw the union as only political and cared very little for his bride. He abandoned her for years at a time to wage war on the continent. Twice, Mary believed that she was pregnant. She was desperate to give birth to a Catholic heir who would keep Elizabeth off the throne. But as the 10th and 11th months ticked by with no sign of labor, the queen's swollen belly began to recede, and she was humiliated. She probably suffered a combination of a tumor and a psychosomatic episode. Mary died at 42, most likely from uterine cancer. Before her body was even cold, Philip of Spain sent a letter to her younger sister Elizabeth, proposing marriage. He was the son of Holy Roman Emperor and King of Spain, Charles V. Philip inherited the vast Spanish Empire from his father, while the Holy Roman Empire went to his uncle, Ferdinand I. Under Philip's decisive leadership, Spain was enjoying a golden age. Colonial expansion was at its peak, and the Philippines were named in the king's honor. Philip had no interest in Elizabeth as a person, but he was keen to keep his alliance with England and his position as king consort. He also felt it was his duty to continue forcing England to convert back to Catholicism. Philip had frequently defended Elizabeth from the fury of her older sister, so she was not inclined to despise him completely. Still, she could never consent to the marriage for a number of reasons. Philip remained incredibly unpopular with the English, and as Elizabeth's reign depended on her people's devotion, bringing back Philip would have obliterated her popular mandate to rule. And because Philip was her sister's widower, the situation very much resembled the grounds on which her father divorced Catherine of Aragon, his own oldest brother's widow, in order to wed her mother, Anne Boleyn. If Elizabeth agreed that her marriage to Philip was lawful, she would be undermining the legality of her mother's marriage and therefore her own legitimacy and claim to the throne. She let Philip down gently. Within a year, he married his third cousin and his son's former fiancée, Elizabeth of Valois. 
When she died in childbirth, he took a fourth wife, his niece, Anna of Austria. Philip and Elizabeth maintained peaceful relations, at least for a while. When courtiers arrived to inform Elizabeth that she was now queen, they found her beneath an ancient oak tree. As they bowed before her, the 25-year-old sovereign proclaimed, This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Her devoted friend, Robert Dudley, was by her side. That day, she appointed him master of horse. This was a coveted position, as it entailed close attendance on the monarch. Robert was well suited for the job. He had a keen interest in horsemanship and breeding, and took charge of organizing Elizabeth's stables, annual progress around the country, and even her coronation. She also appointed him a Knight of the Garter. He was never far from the Queen's side, and rumors of an affair between them ran wild. Ambassadors vied for Robert's favor, and jealous courtiers plotted his assassination. He took to wearing a coat of light chainmail under his clothes. If the queen could have followed her heart's desire, she surely would have chosen Robert as her husband. But there was one problem. He was already married. His wife Amy lived away from court and was reported to be gravely ill. It was whispered that Robert was waiting for her to die so that he could marry the queen. And die she did, not from illness, but from a fall down the stairs. The suspicious nature of her death led many to believe that Robert had orchestrated her murder. Though the inquest ruled Amy's death accidental, Elizabeth could not marry him after such a scandal, but she kept him close all the same. She was especially fond of dancing with him. Now that Elizabeth was on the throne, the question of her marriage loomed large. There weren't any more Tudor siblings waiting in the wings, and if anything happened to her, there would likely be a civil war between her cousins, Catholic Mary Queen of Scots, and Protestant Catherine Grey, Jane's younger sister. The House of Commons sent a petition to the new queen, urging her to select a husband and produce an heir as quickly as possible. But Elizabeth had no interest in matrimony. It's little wonder when you consider her family history. Her father cast aside Catherine of Aragon to marry her mother, Anne Boleyn. He then had her mother disgraced and murdered in order to move on to the next. Motherless Elizabeth watched as her father cast off four more wives. One stepmother, Catherine Howard, was beheaded just like her mother, and two others, Jane Seymour and Catherine Parr, died in childbirth. Next, Elizabeth witnessed the turmoil and heartbreak of her sister's marriage. In her eyes, matrimony equaled death at worst, misery at best. After spending her whole life at the mercy of others, a whim away from the block, Elizabeth had finally outlived them all to hold the reins of power. But because she was a woman, she was expected to be subservient to her husband. He would have the right to be king consort and effective ruler of the nation. Elizabeth had no intention of handing over her hard-won power to a man. 
even if she did somehow manage to find the perfect husband who would not abandon or dominate her, there was always the very real possibility that she would die in childbirth. All things considered, no, marriage was definitely not for her. She told an inquiring ambassador that she would rather be a beggar woman and single than a queen and married. At her coronation, she proclaimed that she was married to her people and pointed to the sovereign's ring upon her finger. She declared that she would be content to have her marble gravestone read, Here lies a queen who lived and died a virgin. This answer silenced Parliament, but her people continued to be uneasy about the succession and the queen's relationship status and a number of suitors from home and abroad came seeking the queen's hand. In the next episode, we'll meet the English lords who mortgaged their estates and the foreign royals who fell over themselves trying to win Elizabeth's elusive hand. And we'll take a closer look at her intimate friendship with Robert Dudley and investigate the claim that the pair might have had a secret love child. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. You can also follow History Tea Time on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more. For over a hundred years, the world has been captivated by Hollywood. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Where stars are born. But just beneath the stardust lie a million more fascinating stories that when sewn together form an incredible history. The Secret History of Hollywood, available now wherever you get podcasts.